Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Take your Bibles with me this morning. Turn to Zechariah chapter 12 is where we'll be today. And if you have not been with us, let me catch you up. We've been walking through this book, Zechariah, and we're calling this series Your Kingdom Come. The essence of Zechariah is what it means to live in the coming kingdom of God. And um, Zechariah was a prophet of God who um, Israel was at a low point. They had just come out of exile, captivity from Babylon, and, and they were needing to rebuild and be restored. And God comes to Zechariah in the first part of this book with eight visions that says, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to cleanse you, I'm going to deal with your, I'm going to deal with your sin, and I'm going to restore you. And so don't have any fear, get to work and build that temple. And then as we've moved through the book, and we're in the last part of this book now, what we've discovered is, is that he was speaking to them about, I'm going to restore you and I'm going to make things new for you, for your society. But what we're discovering is, is that there's a future aspect. Years later, after all of that, the Lord comes to Zechariah again, and these last few chapters of Zechariah are pointing to things that are even coming for us, that are future for us. And as we think about that, um, this idea of your kingdom come, I want to tell you a funny story that happened this week. So I'm riding down the road. Mark made some visits with me this week, and I was telling Mark, we just, you know how you just talk about things? I said, Mark, do you remember back in the 90s when like Christian t-shirts were, uh, you know, when we, there were witty things on Christian t-shirts, and they were, you know, it's just a You've probably had some of those, right? And so we started talking about things that were on those T-shirts or whatever. And so just in conversation, Mark said, well, I went to the thrift store the other day. I found this shirt that said Kingdom Comeback. So I bought that shirt. You got a picture of it? Pull that, pull that, picture, pull that picture up. Here's Mark in his Kingdom Comeback shirt. And so, uh, you know, when we started talking about it, I, I, when I said that, I was a little confused. Like I didn't know what that was. And, and I said, well, what, what is that? And he said, well, I don't, you know, the... I don't know, I mean, like the kingdom of God, I guess. And I mean, Jesus is coming back, you know. I said, Mark, I, I don't know that that's what that means, man. Like, you might want to, like, Google that and see what that is, you know. So, riding down the road, he, I think he was not going to. And then finally, after I pressed a little bit, he did. He Googled it. And I will be honest, when he first Googled it, I thought, it's going to be one of those little, it's going to be like a... Like a, I am second. It's going to be like a he gets us. It's going to be like a, a promotion of some kind that somebody's getting at. You know what I mean? It's not. Kingdom is a Korean boys band. <laughs> and come back. Come back is the name of the album. And so Mark has been promoting K-pop all around Lafayette. And as it turns out, he spotified them, and he's a fan. Mark loves, Mark loves this group. Where's the other picture of Mark? There he is, loving the group. Yeah. So <laughs> in this case, there was some confusion about the kingdom, right? Obviously, there was a little confusion. And I thought that that was a perfect example of the fact that we sit in this room and we talk about the kingdom of God. Let's don't let there be any confusion. What are we talking about? When we talk about the kingdom of God, 
what are we talking about? If you look to the Old Testament, Zechariah, where we're looking, there's a promise of a kingdom. There's a promise. You look to, like, Abraham, there's a promise. I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and all families of the earth will be blessed for you. All nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And there's this promise to David that I'm going to, I'm going to through your line, establish a kingdom that will not end. These are promises, right? Promises that we'll read in Zechariah, promises that we'll read today throughout the message to Old Testament prophets where there is a promise of a kingdom with no end. It's a promise of a kingdom of peace, and it's a promise of a kingdom of, of justice and a place where, in a place where it, there's provision. We read about it in, in Zechariah 9. We read some things about what this would be like, about this, about this coming kingdom, right? Okay, so then... You, you get Jesus. Then in the Gospels, you get Jesus comes on the scene. And you remember as Jesus arrives, he says things like this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's close. It's really nearby. He would tell lots of parables. He would tell these in his teaching. He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would tell this story that was supposed to give us hints as to what the kingdom was like. Today at the end of our service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper is a celebration of this new covenant of his blood. That, that the, the old, in the Old Testament, the Jews followed that law. And that there was strict adherence to the law. But what Jesus says through his blood is, you can never keep the law. And because you, because you can never keep it, I'm just going to sacrifice myself for you. And you can benefit from my sacrifice. Just trust in me. And so when Jesus comes that first time, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus establishes that kingdom. Jesus inaugurates it. it it's, we're not fully living in it now. There's like, an all, there's like an already part of the kingdom that we can experience. If you're here today and you're a believer, you're a part of the kingdom of God. If you serve the Lord, you're doing kingdom work, we might say, Right? You're part of the kingdom of God. But there's a not yet portion to that kingdom. If you think for a minute about the already part of that kingdom. Think for a minute about as a believer, you would say things like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As a Christian, every time you are obedient to the commands of God, every time you are, you are striving to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, that's operating within the kingdom. That's an already part of the kingdom. The power of the Spirit within you, that guarantee, that, that earnest, that down payment of the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, the conviction that you feel, the the, the power that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the um, I don't know, the provision that he gives you, the peace that he gives you, the peace that you have with God as a Christian, right? That's, a, that's an already part of the kingdom that you're experiencing. But there's also this big part of the kingdom that's not yet. When you just look around at this world we're living in, it's fallen and it's corrupt and it's not just and there's not peace 
And there's all of these things that are, have not happened yet. But the promise for the people for Zechariah's day was, your world is devastated and destroyed and torn down around you, but I'm going to remake your society. I'm going to remake your people. I'm going to restore them. And the promise for us is the same. We live in a world that is fallen, corrupt, broken. When we look around us, we don't see peace. We don't see justice. We don't see righteousness. We don't see provision all around us. So, there's a not yet part to this kingdom. What, what we believe, when I read scripture, what I believe is, is that one day Christ will return. And when Christ returns, he's going to destroy every enemy that is rebellious to him. Everything that is not part of the kingdom will go away. And the Bible says that there will be created a new heaven and a new earth. This world is going to be remade. And in that moment, the kingdom that he has inaugurated at his first coming, it will be consummated, we would say, at his second coming. It will come to its fullness. It will happen when there is coming a day when he will make all things right. The world we live in is not right now. There's tension. There's dissonance. We experience, we experience tension and conflict because of the world that we live in. Because there's this wrestling between the kingdom of God within us, the spirit, and then the flesh that we're also tied to. But one day, all of that's going to go away. We're going to be remade. The heavens and the earth are going to be remade. And he will establish his coming kingdom. Listen to what these verses say in Revelation 21. This is, a, this, is, this is John giving us a taste of what that kingdom is like. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea, this picture of confusion and chaos, was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. Anybody looking forward to that? So let's look today. The title of the message today as we look to Zechariah 12 is The Power of the Kingdom. And what I want to talk about today is I think that this chapter tells us some things about the God that we serve. How is it possible... For, the, for everything to be remade. What, what kind of power can do that? And how? How does that happen? It's not a thing that we can fully fathom, but the truth is, is that when you look to Zechariah 12, it's giving us some hints. It's telling us some things. I need to tell you that we're doing the Lord's Supper today, and I'm going to feel very rushed. And so I'm going to do my best to get everything together that I have in this chapter and also let it make sense to you, Okay. But just know that I feel a little bit of a crunch for time, okay? So Joseph and Allison are brand new children's church workers today. 
<clears throat> let's start. <laughs> let's start by looking at just the first verse of Zechariah 12. And that first verse is, it talks about his creative power. It talks about God's creative power. Let's read the first verse. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. This chapter starts off with the description of our God's creative power. How can God remake the heavens and the earth? Well, for him it's nothing because he has already made everything that we know. When you look at this passage, it tells us three phases by which God made the heavens and the earth. He stretched out the stars in the heavens, he laid the foundations of the earth, and he breathed or formed the spirit of man. While many people in our world would debate the existence of God or God's creation or the, the credibility of that Genesis account, we look to Scripture and we believe that God spoke and it was. We believe that God created this earth. The Bible reaffirms that over and over. Let me rapid fire these verses to you. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, at which point he spoke, and out of that chaos came everything that we know, ordered. John 1 in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1 in verse 16, for by him, this is even talking about Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, all things were created through him and for him, for his glory. That means all of those things that were mentioned there is to exalt him because he's worthy of that. Genesis, go back to Genesis 1 and look at how it talks about God creating man and, and breathing the spirit of life into him. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Creation did not happen by accident. Every single thing that we see and know, he created. And it's really interesting that, that Zacharias starts here or that this oracle starts here, because you may say, David, why waste time talking about the fact that God created the earth? We know that. If you're pressed for time, why would we belabor this point? Because it's the foundation for everything else that follows. Think about that for a moment. A person might say, why should I even have to answer to God? This is my life. Can I live my life how I want to? You know why you're accountable to God? He made you. Well, God, the way all you people talk about God, he seems pretty judgy. I don't know why God would be so judgy. You know why God has the right to judge? He made you. He made you. He made every single thing that you see in existence. It's his. Not only did he make it, but by his creative power, he not only spoke it into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing did God create 
Not only did he just speak and it was, but he also sustains it by his power. He created the systems that keep it going. He threw things into orbit. The rotations and the seasons and the time, everything, this out of chaos came this ordered perfection from the code in your DNA to the magnitude of the cosmos, it screams design. And if there is design in it, then that means there was someone who designed it. There is a designer behind all of that. And he has the, if he has the ability to speak it into existence and create it, then he has the right to judge us. He has the right to have a, a, for us to be accountable to him in our life. For you and I, we should follow his commands because he's worthy of our obedience. He made us. And so when we think about the fact that God is going to, cre- he can create order out of chaos, go back to the beginning and you're looking at, at this creation where he just speaks and it's ordered and it's intentional. And then you go to Zachariah's people and you look at their life was chaos. It was, it, it, there was nothing founding it, rooting it. And God says, I'm going to sweep in and I'm going to restore you and I'm going to establish you as a people and I'm going to defend you against your enemies. Think about the encouragement that that was for Zachariah's people. Fast forward today, you sitting here. If your life seems chaotic, if, if, if it's chasing one thing after another, God says, I can remake you into the image of my son, and I can give order to your life. When we look at this world, fast forward on into the future, when we look at this world that we're living in, and it's chaotic, and it's crazy, and it is, it's not God-honoring, and in many ways, it's, it's not a place that's conducive to Christian living. He says, I'm going to remake this world. I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And in the end, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to set all things right. It is by his creative power that he does that. Let's look secondly, not only his creative power, but God can remake this world because he also has a conquering power. God has a, has a creative power, but he has a conquering power. Because the truth is, is that there is obstinance too. When we were talking in Sunday school this morning, one of the, um, one of the guys, I was in the, one of the younger kids' classes and filling in and one of those um, one of those kids in that class said how did those people look at Jesus and not know that he was the son of god but they do and throughout the ages there have been people that have not submitted to his lordship and we either surrender to that lordship or he humbles us he he, he does this we either experience his victory or we experience the punishment that comes from rebellion. Remember, before I read this passage, remember that we're reading prophecy and prophecy is never exactly a picture. It's just images. It's just flashes of images to get us on the right track and to give us a feeling. So let's read starting in Zechariah 12 and verse 2. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. And on that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. 
But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. On that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. In prophecy, you know, sometimes there's this dual fulfillment. So if you look to them and you look to their people at this point, This is encouragement for them because they had kind of been reduced at this point to a small little Persian province who was kind of teetering on the brink of extinction, it seemed like. And so for them to know that God had their back against any and all enemies would have been encouraging for them. When you look to maybe some pictures that would be here of something future, the Bible talks about, you know, people will talk about a battle of Armageddon kind of stuff. They'll talk about like that, right? Because we do believe that the end, when you read Revelation 19, it seems as if Jesus returns and not everybody is happy or ready to welcome him because there is a rebellion against him. And because of that, Jesus punishes that rebellion. Jesus conquers. It's not really a battle at all. It is Jesus coming in, on, riding onto the scene with his conquering power. What is it like? to stand before the conquering power of God. Well, passage tells us a few things. It gives four images. Let me just throw those out there at you. Look at verse 2. It calls it like a cup of staggering. Like, uh, I'm going to disorient them. Um, they're going to drink like, they've, like they're drunk. I'm, it, it's like they're going to be drunk. It's like the cup of my fury is going to be poured out on them. And, and, and stand, trying to stand against the conquering power of God is staggering. If you keep going on down, it says in verse 3, it'll be like a heavy stone. It'll be like trying to lift a heavy stone, and instead of moving the stone, you hurt yourself. That's what it's like to come against God. If you look down in verse, um, I don't know, down verse 6, my people will be like a blazing pot in the midst of the wood. All the wood is burned up, and the pot is left. God says, I'm going to make my people like that. They may experience the flames, but I'm going to be with them through that, and they will remain It'll be like, uh, that same verse, a flaming torch among the sheaves. It would be like fire set to grass and it moving across that field and burning it up. This is what it is. Some people have looked at this and said, well, if this is about future prophecy, when I read future prophecy, it's really strange, David, because like this passage talks about horses. So like, you mean that battle is going to be horses? Like we're past that, aren't we? But you understand, like, 2,500 years ago, um, with no conception of tanks, missiles, planes, whatever, a horse is a pretty, pretty significant technological advantage in war. And so it's a frame of reference kind of thing. Although I will tell you this, this doesn't cost you anything, but, um, you know, after World War II, you know, World War II, Albert Einstein said, 
on thinking about the power of nuclear weapons, he said something like, I don't know with what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. So who's to say? I mean, let's just be honest. Look at the world happening around us. Like, do you not see a scenario where maybe, uh, uh, you know, Walking Dead, Last of Us scenario where the last, the, the last battle is not fought with missiles, tanks, planes? And I don't know about all that, but the point is he puts panic in the enemy and he defends his people. This is the heart of what his conquering power is. When you look to this God, I want to read what it says in Revelation. And this is a lengthy passage, but even with our crunch time, it's important that we read it. I want you to see how Revelation describes that moment when Christ returns and deals with enemies. I want you to think that Christ came the first time in the humility as a baby in a stable. He came in frail, tender flesh that was pierced on the cross. That was at his first coming when he comes to inaugurate the kingdom. Listen how Revelation describes his coming to consummate the kingdom. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of wrath of the God Almighty." On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the Antichrist. And the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped its image. And those two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It's like a hard passage. It's it's like this, this brilliant warrior in power coming to set right and to defeat all enemies. And immediately following this, what this ushers in is the passage I read for you at the beginning. Where there'll be no more tears and no more death and no more heartbreak. And he will be our God and we will be his people. Christ-centered exposition commentary says, These verses remind us that God's side always wins. Some people foolishly reason that since the Lord always conquers, we should work and pray to get God on our side. But that's exactly backwards. You don't get God on your side. 
you get on God's side. You surrender to him. The point of God's conquering power is, is this. That same one who comes to destroy enemies has the power to create that image of no heartache and no tear and all of that. And I know which side of that person I want to be on. As the pastor I don't, I don't, I'm not to attempt to try to get him on my side. He has the power. I come surrendering to his conquering power. Waylon and I rented some kayaks one day. You remember this? We were camping. Waylon and I rented some kayaks. We, we didn't take any down there, but they had them to rent. So we rented kayaks, and we went out on the Chattahoochee River, and we had a good afternoon. We, we went and we saw Eagle's Nest, and we, we went up and down the Chattahoochee River. We went out into some little back channels, and we were doing around. But then it got about time for us to have our kayaks back at that place. And we had to go, uh, we had to go uh, river and these little channels, and we had to go uh, you know, across the river, back through here and across the, the river, and then back down this other little channel to where we were to turn the kayaks in, and we started back. And the wind was blowing in our faces. Where we had gotten to had been easy. The wind had been blowing in our backs, and we had just got out there, no problem. But then when we were headed back, we felt like we were on a time crunch, and and just just casually paddling was not getting it done. We weren't getting anywhere. I remember Waylon took that hat. He turned it around. <laughs> it's like Sylvester Stallone and over the top. It's, it's going to happen, you know? And he, he was going. We were getting serious. We are fighting that wind to get back. The same wind that carried us out with ease, we had to fault going back in. The conquering power of God is as Scripture has laid it out. What happens at the end is up to you. You can rebel against him, have things your way, say, God, this is my life. I don't need you. I will do things my way. But that's fighting against the current. That's fighting the wind. What he says is surrender to me and let this conquering power come in behind you and let this conquering power take you to where I want you to go. This is the difference. Every one of us today would must make a decision. And, and I believe that as, we, as I sit here and I speak, I believe the Holy Spirit can, can show you whether you feel as if you are with God and things are right with him or if they're not. And if things are not right between you and God today, recognize that the God who created you the God who created the universe, the God who has all power, is the God who you would rebel against. And when we come to that thought, it should cause us to surrender before him. Which leads us to our last point. He has creative power, conquering power, but finally he has cleansing power. We're going to pick up the reading in verse 10, and we're going to read all the way down through the first verse of 13. He says, And I will pour out on this house of David... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. 
The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. And on that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. The key verses here are verses 10 and 13 verse 1. Let's talk about that. I'll mention what all that is in the middle, but that's not as important as those other two verses. It says in verse 10 that there will come a time when God's Spirit will be poured out and they will look on me the one on whom they have pierced. Think about it as you're a person in Zachariah's day. Like we, when I say pierced, I bet you, you think about Christ on the cross. I bet you as I read that, some of you made a face and you were thinking Christ on the cross. But if you're a person in Zachariah's day and the cross is so far into the future that you can't imagine that or conceive of it, Metaphorically, their disobedience would pierce the heart of God. My disobedience and yours pierces the heart of God. He's worthy of all glory, and he's worthy of all of our obedience. And the fact that this world around us would not give him glory, the fact that our individual lives might rob him of the glory that is due him just because he's just, righteous, and all-powerful. It grieves him and it pierces his heart. But believing that this has future ramifications, think about the fact that he was pierced on that cross for our sins. You know, they'll look on the one whom they have pierced to look on, to gaze, to, to, um, to even to trust in. This word has, has um, like the, the Hebrew word has kind of like that connotation that goes with it. This is the same word that's used. Remember when the snakes were biting people in the wilderness and God told Moses to put a serpent on a pole, bronze serpent on the pole, and when people are bit, look at the serpent, gaze upon that, look to that for help, go to it for help. That's the word that's used here. And so the idea is, is What's happening is, is when we recognize and realize that the king of the universe with all creative power, with all conquering power, loved us so much that he bore our sins on the cross and he was pierced for me and you, that should do something to us. When we recognize that he didn't owe us a thing, but yet he willingly laid down his life for me and you on the cross, that should do something to us. When we look on the one whom we have pierced, do you, know, do you know why he was put on the cross? Every act of rebellion that you and I have ever committed, he bore there. And when we look at the one on whom we have pierced, it should do something to us. It did something to them. It caused them to mourn. Do you see that? He says it caused them to mourn. And he said, and then let's get this part in the middle. Verse 11, it will be like the mourning that happened when, don't let me, I'm going to have to fill, I don't have time to fill in the blanks. It, this will be like the time when Joash, when, I'm sorry, King Josiah 
was killed in the, near the valley of Megiddo, and all the people mourned. And it will affect every group. It will affect the, the royalty, like the house of David. And it will affect priests, like the house of Levi. And it will affect prophets, like the house of Nathan. He's just working through every class. And he's saying the way that all people grieved that event, those who look on him should be affected by it. It's our sin being before us. What Zechariah is describing is the experience of repentance. Repentance is not just knowing, like when I talk about repentance, I've talked about before the idea that repentance is, is you're going, like I'm going away from God, I'm going in my sin, I'm walking away from him. And, and, I'm, and at some point, I'm, I turn from my sin and I turn to God and now I'm moving toward him. This is repentance. Repentance is a change in behavior. It, it, it results in that. Repentance is not just recognizing that you are wrong. Repentance is recognizing the one to whom you have wronged and recognizing the gravity of it. And that's what happens here with these people. They're mourning. As a believer in Jesus Christ, can any of you think back to the time when you realized your own sinful shape and condition and you recognized and realized that he was opening your eyes and you repented of your sin and you turned from it. You recognized that the king of all glory had died in your stead and you had been the one that had pierced him. Maybe not literally, but it was your sin that took him to the cross. It's bad news. But look at verse 13. Good news for all those who are mourning. There shall be a fountain opened to cleanse from sin and uncleanness. This, this fountain, this abundant, never-ending, inexhaustible supply that will cleanse of all sin. This is a difference. For the people in the Old Testament, their sins weren't cleansed. Their sins were covered by the blood of those sacrifices. But the cleansing for their sin comes when Jesus dies on the cross for them. This cleansing is a promise to us. It's a promise to remake us. Do you understand that if you're here today and you, are, you recognize the sin in your life, you realize that your sin has grieved the one with all creative and all conquering power, when you realize that it has grieved him and you have pierced him, it should cause us to mourn. But on doing so, it also should bring to our mind that the Holy Spirit's conviction does not just make us feel bad. The Holy Spirit's conviction points us to the fountain that can cleanse all sin. This is the promise. This is the promise that Jesus offers, that your sins are not just covered. Your sins are cleansed. They're done away with, gone. Look at these promises from other Old Testament prophets. Isaiah 12 Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. This is an Old Testament promise of the kingdom of God and what it means. Look at Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them. You can't keep it on tablets, Ten Commandment tablets. I'm, my spirit is going to be in you. My law is going to be in your hearts, declares the Lord. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. Are you hearing these words? New, new. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. The God who is able to create everything out of nothing, the God who is able to take Zachariah's people and restore them from the chaos of exile that they are living in and remake and restore them is the same God who can take our lives and transform us. He can take the chaos of our sin, he can cleanse it through this fountain of his blood. He can cleanse us of our sin because, listen to me, apart from trusting in Jesus, there is no way, remember the other week, the one that you follow determines where you end up? There is no way that we can see the kingdom of God apart from putting our trust in Jesus. Because one day, He's going to take the chaos of this world and he is going to remake it. New heaven, new earth. And he has the power to do that and to wash away every sin. I've told you this story before, but we're going to sing a song in just a minute that relates to that chapter 13 and verse 1. This is a story about William Cooper. William Cooper was born in the late seven, uh, or early 1700s and William Cooper was, I want to say, the fifth of six children. Um, when he was pretty young, though, his mom died giving birth to that sixth child. It really affected him, the loss of his mother. His dad was a pastor. And as he grew up, he kind of had a hard time of it. He was bullied in school, and he had a lot of depression and all that sort of thing. And even though his dad was a pastor, at some point he kind of had given up on God somewhere along the way. Um, added to that, he wanted to be a lawyer, uh, or he wanted to write, and his dad wanted him to be a lawyer. His mom had really put in, had, you know, kind of given him this love of writing, and he, he enjoyed poetry, literature, wanted to write, but his dad wanted him to be a lawyer, and there was conflict there. And so all of this kind of stuff put together, he had turned his back on God and wasn't interested. He went into such a deep depression at some point that he attempted suicide. And following that suicide attempt, some people told him about this, um, about this doctor, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Cotton, Dr. Nathaniel Cotton, who ran this asylum. And so he goes there, William goes there. And it was through the course of having discussions with Dr. Cotton that a big change happened in William's life. He was reading one day from Romans 3, that passage that says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we're justified as a gift of, uh, as a, through by his grace, as a gift, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, by God who put forth as a propitiation his blood. It was in that moment that William Cooper did what I have done what many of you have done. It was in that moment that he looked on the one on whom he had pierced. He realized that in that blood was a cleansing fountain so that he could be right with his creator. And he gave his life to the Lord. He did continue to write 
the song that he wrote in 1772 that we're going to sing in just a moment are familiar words to you. And those words are straight from this verse. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners that are plunged beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to find more resources to help you grow in your walk with Christ, check out our website at rootedandresolved.org.